We are joined by Preet Banerjee, personal finance commentator, founder of Money Gaps. Preet, nice to have you. Good morning, John. I'm just looking at this uh, CNN profile about you and your fiance. <laughs> and first of all, it's like a novella. It's, uh, but it's a really sweet story. What's funny is you guys are both from Ontario, but you ended up meeting in Athens. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, uh, it's funny how the world works. Um, we met at this conference for, for doctoral students. And, uh, it, you know, the headline of the article, I think, is not correct. We didn't fall in love in an elevator. We met for the first time in an elevator. We fell in love much longer than that. And it's explained in the article. But I have to say, when I read the article, I read it with a big smile on my face because uh, the writer did such a great job of telling that story when she interviewed us and just translating into to, to written word. Uh, it was really nice. But my phone has been blowing up um, a whole mm -hmm. bunch of new followers on social from all over the world for me that article i did not think it was going to be that big of a deal okay well it's funny because i'm used to reading profiles in the new york times about impossibly beautiful successful people who meet and fall in love and now i'm reading this one and i'm thinking wait a second i know that guy uh so we'll <laughs> we'll tweet out uh and instagram links on our social media platform so you get even more uh traction out of that but listen let's ah, turn wonderful. let's turn to some of the and when are you guys getting married uh, 2024. Okay. Long enough for you and I to establish enough of a friendship that I get on the guest list. <laughs> so let's turn to some of the day's big stories. Uh, Doug Ford digging in and resisting the inquiry summons. The legal argument that is going to be made, and it'll be interesting to see what the judge decides, and then it's going to go to appeal. But the idea is that the federal government can't require the provincial government to explain itself. Okay, I kind of get it, but why don't you just go explain yourself anyway? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, and I think his arguments have argued that their parliamentary privilege prevents them from being compelled to testify. And so on the matter of whether or not he could legally refuse, we'll find out next week if that is indeed the case. But I think that doesn't even really matter. And it is somewhat ironic that he was then absent in Parliament yeah. uh, when the opposition's job of holding to account has been effectively suspended by that very absence from Parliament, which is the crux of the argument as to why he doesn't want to testify because the legislature is in session. Okay, but you're not even in the legislature to, f to face the opposition's questioning on And this is an important item. So the story is now exploded probably a lot more than if he had just voluntarily showed up. He's already been interviewed, but in terms of testifying, you know, if you just go and say the same thing that you said before, this would probably have been a much smaller story. Now hindsight's 2020, but it looks like they, it looks like they really took the wrong strategy here. Ontario's housing minister is going to be on our show at 8:05 this morning, but yesterday he was taking the wraps off a new housing policy and, you know, there's a lot of takeaway here, so I'll let you take it in any direction you want to, Preet. But the goal, obviously, is to get housing built and get it built fast and override a lot of the things that have stood in the way of it. Yeah, and on the surface, it sounds like a step in the right direction for all the reasons that you just mentioned. But upon digging, you know, just a little bit deeper, there certainly are some concerns, and I would want to hear more from from opposition as to the details of this plan. Uh, one of the things is is that while it's a province wide plan, the city of Toronto itself, which is where you know the the issue of densification is probably most apparent, being the biggest city, uh, the city of Toronto's municipal 
sort of bylaws have already adopted some of the same abilities. And so the question is, is this actually much more ambitious than what city councillors have put forward already? And is this really just going to be something for outside of Toronto? And if so, that's fine. I just want to know, you know, when you're presenting this plan, is it really that big of a sweeping change compared to what's already existing in the city of Toronto? And the other questions I would want to, to have addressed are exactly why the complete elimination of development charges, which go to fund infrastructure. So if you have more people living in a city, that infrastructure is going to come at some kind of cost. It's going to be paid somehow. Why not just across the board reduction in development charges as opposed to foregoing it? And also the reduction of conservation authorities to weigh in and the re reduction of the power to appeal decisions is something I'd like to know more about. Again, if you want bold changes to address something as uh, existential as this, the housing affordability crisis in Ontario, you need bold steps. Are these the right mix of steps? Uh, I've been hearing from housing advocates slightly different mixes of, of policies and platforms. So just want a little bit more clarification on the details. Well, we'll seek that when the minister appears. But I am with you on some of those elements. Uh, one of them being, I think, environmental considerations have often been seen as a nuisance to developers. But I think it's really important if you're going to you know, spoil wetlands or something like that, then you really got to have a good argument. And the other point you were making that I would subscribe to is, I mean, there's a reason we have development fees. And it's because if you are going to make all kinds of money developing properties in an urban environment, then there should be some consideration for the footprint you're leaving behind, and some money has to be left in the community. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'd want to know what is the thinking behind the complete elimination of the development charges? And, you know, why wasn't it just maybe reduced? Because again, uh, that when it comes to budgeting, you have expenses and you've got income, if you complete, completely get rid of all the income that goes towards that budget envelope for infrastructure, where is it going to come from? Because it has to come from somewhere. One, possibly two Canadian women who have been in Syrian detention camps after having gone to the war zone to marry ISIS fighters uh, are being repatriated to Canada. Uh, this is probably not going to fly well, but you owe a certain duty of care to anybody with Canadian citizenship. But what do you say? Yeah, it's a tough one because, you know, we don't know the details of everyone's individual cases. And I can see how it's possible that someone could meet someone and get pulled into a world and it feels like it's happening whether or not you want it to happen. And you get pulled over there, you get married, whatever. And you might sort of have sober second thoughts early on, but you're past the point of no return. And so I'm not completely without sympathy, but I know that this makes it tough to garner the political will to to repatriate people. It, it will be a tough one, very contentious. Again, I don't know anything about this individual situation. I am sure there are situations where people get in over their heads and they probably don't deserve to be completely forgotten about, but there are some situations where you have to take responsibility for your decisions as well. So what do you make about uh, turmoil in Brampton, where a city employee took on the incumbent mayor, lost, and then got fired yesterday? Does that smack of uh, bitterness, or is it just practical that if somebody said you were a lousy mayor, then maybe they shouldn't be working for you? 
Well, listen, there's hundreds of thousands of people who probably share that same opinion. Many of them are, you know, working for the city. They just weren't publicly running against you. Uh, But I think the timing is just awful. I mean, if you don't want to draw attention to this story, you know, don't do it within 24 hours of losing the election. And what I think makes this particularly interesting is that this candidate had been terminated by the city before because of raising, I think, allegations of mismanagement, but was then reinstated. So presumably the reinstatement was because maybe there was some merit uh, to those allegations or they couldn't be disproven. And so, you know, someone who's won 25 percent of the vote terminating within 24 hours makes me wonder what more there is to this story. So if the goal was to make it all sort of go away, uh, that was the wrong way to go about it, because now I have nothing but questions. Okay, well, we'll have questions for Patrick Brown, the mayor of Brampton, who agreed to join us at 720 this morning, Preet, so we'll see what he has to say. Thanks a lot for this. Have a good one. Thank you.